Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Saints and Sinners, that's where we left off last week. If you weren't here, we started this series on our identity. We talked about how the world thinks that they can just walk through like um, like a buffet line at a restaurant, you know. And I talked about growing up and going to the to the Shoney's breakfast buffet on the Sunday after church, and you just walk through that thing and you pick this and you pick that and you just load up your plate with whatever it is that you want, and you walk back to your table like you're the king of the world because you just got to choose whatever it is that you want, how much ever of it you wanted. And that's kind of the way that the world views identity, that they get to pick and choose these things. And uh, it doesn't really work that way because God has already predetermined our identity and the enemy is doing everything that he can possibly do to try to confuse us on this issue of identity. Not just believers, but he's trying to confuse the entire world. And we also said that some Christians are walking around with the wrong spiritual identity. And some people say things like this, and uh, many of us have said this or heard this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which uh, sounds nice, but the problem with that statement is that it really, theologically, it contradicts itself. Because if you are a sinner it means that you haven't yet been saved by grace. You're not yet redeemed. You're not set free. A more accurate statement would be, I was a sinner, and now I am saved by grace. The sinner is the old identity. It's the old thing. And we step out of that, and we step into a new identity as a saint in Christ Jesus. So I no longer identify as a sinner. I identify as a saint. It's not because I'm perfect. It's not because I'm saying, well, I've, I'm, I never sin anymore. But it's, I'm, what I'm saying is there is a new spiritual identity that exists that is the truth that reigns over my life as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower in Jesus Christ, and that's that Jesus calls me a saint. And if I'm ever going to step forward in my process of sanctification, becoming more and more and more like Jesus, who he's created me to be, who he's shaped me to be, then I have to let go and disconnect with the identity of a sinner. How many of you know that there's no obese, overweight person ever got skinny by continuing to look at themselves as being obese? What they decided to do is adopt the identity of a skinny person, and then they started to think like a skinny person, and they started to eat like a skinny person, and they started to work out like a, someone who was fit, and then they became fit. And so no one, no one becomes fit by just going, I'm overweight, I'm overweight, I'm overweight, I'm gonna eat donuts, eat donuts, eat donuts. But that's what we do in our spiritual life. And I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, just a sinner, just a sinner. No, 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 there's a new identity if you are in Christ, and that is that you are a saint. Now, does that mean you still might eat a donut from time to time and mess up? Yeah, you might, but that's not your identity. You need to disconnect that. Disconnect yourself from that. And it's not, again, identifying as a saint is not because you are perfect. It's because Jesus is perfect. 
Another way to say it is like this. Roots determine fruits. I know you guys have heard me say that from time to time over the years uh, concerning different things, but your roots determine what kind of fruit you're going to produce. If sin is the soil that your identity takes root in, then you're going to produce sour fruit. But if Jesus Christ is the soil in which your identity takes root in, then you're going to produce delicious fruit. Today, we're going to continue talking about growing our roots in the identity of Christ, in the soil of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning because we're going to honor God's word as we read it aloud this morning. This is a very short verse from uh, the book of Proverbs this morning. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We're going to read this aloud. Let's actually do it a couple of times here. Ready? You're going to read aloud with me. Verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Let's read it one more time. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask you right now, to help us see our identity in Christ. Help us to see that those of us who are in Christ, who we have decided, we've dedicated our lives to following Jesus, we've decided to become disciples of Jesus, help us see that the Holy Spirit has come and regenerated our spirit and given us a new identity. Help us break agreement and come step out of any kind of identity of a sinner, God. Lord, if, there, if there's areas of our life that we still struggle with sin, we come out of agreement with that and say, that is not who I am. I, I may have done that. This may have happened, but that is not who I am. Lord, I repent of that and I turn to you. You are transforming me into the image of Christ. I am a saint. So Lord, give us that identity now today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. At the very core of the foundation of who you are, your, your, your very soul, who you believe that you are affects everything that you do. Your, your identity is the determining factor for when things happen in life, and it's the determining factor of how you feel about it. When something happens in life, who you believe that you are determines what you think about something. How you hear something when something happens and, or someone says something to you. Your identity shapes the way that you hear. It's, it's a filter through which we, we see things. And it affects the way that we act. There's, a, there's another verse in Proverbs that, that says basically, as you think, so you are. So why don't you just turn to your neighbor right now, look at your, the person sitting beside you and say, who do you think you are? <laughs> Come on, say it again. Like, who do you, some of you are really like the person next to you. You're like, yeah, I really do need to say this to them. Like, who do you think you are? Think yeah. You are? Oh, wow. That's all right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> who do you think you are? So many things in this world want to define you. 
They're trying to define you. They're trying to mark you. They're trying to determine your identity for you. There's so many messages that are bombarding us with the ideas of this is who you are. And then something over here is going, no, this is who you are. And this is who you are. And that's where the world has gotten this idea that we can, again, just kind of go down the buffet line and go, okay, I accept that that is who I am. And I accept that's who I am. And I accept that this is who I am. And again, we think we can just pick and choose. The world's trying to tell you this is what is important, ought to be important to you. This is what ought to be fulfilling to you. But the reality is, is that none of those things compare. They don't hold a candle to what God's word says about who you are. All the other influences don't carry any weight compared to what God says, to who he says, this is who you are. Why do you think the enemy of our souls is constantly working overtime to confuse us about identity? Because if you are confused about who you are, then you will never do what God created you to do. I'm gonna say that again. If you are confused about your identity, if you're confused about who you are, you'll never do all the things that God created you to do. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says that God created you for good works. He's already planned it in advance. He has things in store specifically for you to do. And if you don't know who you are, then you're not going to be able to do those things. This is true about your identity in the physical realm, but really, this in the most based area, it's so foundational in the spiritual realm. The key to walking in your God-given identity, or excuse me, the key to walking in your God-given destiny is discovering your God-given identity. Your identity is connected to your purpose. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what God wants for your life. Your identity is the starting point for everything that God wants to do in your life. And if you don't have a good grasp of your identity in Christ, it results in spiritual insecurity and weakness. Now, how many of you want to live your life just, oh, I'm okay with being insecure. I'm okay with not fulfilling all the things that God has for my life. I'm okay walking around as just a weak Christian. None of us. I hope no hand goes up. I'll give you an example of how some, oftentimes this plays out. This may not be the greatest example, but I think you can, I think you can see where I'm coming from with this. Oftentimes people might approach me and say, Pastor, I'd like for you to uh, pray with me about something. There's something going on in my family with this person or there's something going on with my friend with this issue and I'd like for you to come and I'd like you to pray for that person, uh, pray through this issue. And first off, I wanna say this, asking other people to pray with you is a really great thing. It's a wonderful thing, it's marvelous. Because uh, Jesus told us that there is power in agreement in the place of prayer. But sometimes when I get that request, I, I discern that the undercurrent that's, that's happening 
the, the motivation behind the prayer request is, is this. It's like, Pastor, I really want you to pray because you're the pastor. You're the super Christian, and I'm just the regular Christian. And they have this idea that if the pastor prays or if someone on the prayer team prays or if their life group leader prays, someone who is just more spiritual than them, then God is gonna hear their prayer because it's coming from someone who's more important. And then God will actually pay attention to the prayer somehow. Somehow that prayer is more powerful because it's coming from the super Christian. And sometimes maybe they just recognize that their own faith level is low. And so it's not a bad thing either if you recognize that your level of faith is low to, it's really not bad at all, to go and connect with someone else and have someone, you know, let, let's, let's build our faith together. Let's feed, off of, let's feed faith off of one another here. That's another one of the reasons why we need each other. It's another reason why you need to be in a life group. But sometimes when this happens, it's a tell. It's a tell that they don't recognize their identity in Christ, which is maybe one of the reasons why their faith level is low. Listen, I'm not saying this in a way that's condemning, okay? And also I'm not saying this, well, I'm never gonna go ask J.D. to pray with me about anything because he's just gonna think that I'm just, I don't know my identity in Christ, okay? So that's why I said there's the breakdown in this example. But you, I hope you see what I'm saying. I think we can all identify with that on some level or another. Sometimes we just don't feel like, man, I, I, I know that this issue needs prayer, but I don't feel like I've got the gumption for the prayer. And I think sometimes that's often based in not seeing our identity in Christ, which again, which is why it's so important that we do ask people to pray with us because it does build our faith. And sometimes it does remind us of who God is and what he can do and who he's called us to be. Well, what we all need to realize is that there's no second-class Christians. If you are in Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you are in Christ, you have access to God and you can boldly approach the throne of grace. If you are in Christ, you can confidently come into the presence of Jesus Christ and ask God for help in your time of need. If you're in Christ, you have access to the name of Jesus Christ to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. When it comes to your identity, stop labeling yourself as a second-class Christian. Now, I... Listen, I know this is a hard thing to, for us to grasp. It's easy for us to, to like understand an amen in this moment because our faith is connected with it. But when you walk out of these doors and you go back into the real world tomorrow, I say the real world like this isn't the real world. This is the real world. I heard a great quote this week and it said, prayer is not an escape of the real world. It's actually a passage to it. Uh, I thought this was a great quote. And, but when you go out into the rest of the world tomorrow morning, there's a different system that's at work. It's not the kingdom of God. 
And so this idea, this concept that we're talking about can often be contrary to us because we're so ingrained into the systems of this world. What we're talking about is countercultural. Why? Because in our culture, everything revolves around performance. Everything. It starts in your childhood when you're just a kid, and it works its way all the way through adulthood. When you're a kid, you tried out for the basketball team, but maybe you didn't make it, you got cut. You didn't perform well. In school, with academics, maybe you tried your best, but your best wasn't good enough, and you didn't get the, the, the academic accolades, and you didn't get the scholarship. In the marketplace, at work, it's the same system. And it's like, man, you're thinking, if I outperform my peers, if I uh, come under budget, if I do this over here, if I do that, if I, if I make all the sales that I needed, then I'm going to earn the promotion, I'm going to earn the raise, I'm going to earn the bonus. That's the system of the world. Everything is an overflow of your performance. And maybe you think that about your spiritual life. You think, well, I, I'm not really where I want to be in, my, in spiritual development and my growth and maturity, spiritual maturity and discipleship, and I need to grow so much more, and I really want to read my Bible more, and I really want to pray more, and I've not done anything this year. I know we've been talking about making every home an altar, but I've not really done anything to make progress with that. And so you've got all these things that you're seeing the opportunity for growth and change, and that is good. That's wonderful. But here's what you first need to know. While everything in our culture is built on performance, everything in the kingdom is built on position. In God's system, it's your position that's what determines your performance, not the other way around. The system of this world is, is your performance determines your position. But in God's kingdom, it says, no, 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 you are already in Christ. That's your position, and that's unchanging. So that's the thing that ought to determine the overflow. That's the thing that ought to determine the fruit. You're in Christ. Because you're in Christ, you are already accepted. If you're in Christ, you're already unconditionally loved. But so many times, instead of focusing on your position, you focus on your performance. Well, I'm not doing enough, and I struggle with these issues. And some of that, there, there's some truth and validity to that, but the enemy, what he wants you to do is to get your eyes on that thing and completely ignore the fact that you already are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Instead of focusing on who you are in Christ, you're just saying, well, I'm just, again, I'm just a sinner. What we need to realize is that unlike the world system, where your performance in, in the world, where your performance is what determines your position, God's way is that your performance is an overflow of you realizing your position that you already hold. If you really want lasting change in your life, then you've got to first recognize your position in Christ. Why? Why? Because everything that you feel 
everything that you think, everything that you hear, everything that you say, everything that you act is an overflow of your identity. So who do you think you are? Turn to your neighbor again and ask him, who do you think you are? Well, I'm loved by God. That's who I am. I'm accepted by Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I don't have anything to prove because Jesus already proved it through his sinless life and his selfless death and his glorious resurrection. Amen? Amen. Here are the dangers of living your life out of performance and not position. One of two things can happen. You either walk in pride because you're doing so great, or you walk in shame because you're not doing great. If your identity is rooted in your performance, these are the two traps that you're going to step into, either pride or shame. And you might even teeter back and forth between these two things. If your identity is not rooted in Christ and it's rooted in performance, then if you're thinking performing, if you think you're performing well, then you will step into pride. You're going to think, well, I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm doing pretty great. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I serve on the team. I'm part of a life group. I'm here on Sunday mornings and get my kids checked in to see kids before the first song even starts. <laughs> you're doing great. Those are, and let me say, all those are great things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We ought to all be doing those things, right? They're all great habits. But for you, if you're just thinking it, thinking of your identity in those terms, it's just a checklist of behavioral do's and don'ts. And this is the same kind of thing that the Pharisees did back in Jesus' day. They were all about performance. Look at what we are doing. Look at me. We, we keep the law perfectly. We even wash our hands just the perfect way. It's like, look at me, God. Look at me looking at you. Aren't I awesome, God? That's the attitude of the Pharisees. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee that have, <laughs> are approaching God. And the tax collector was someone who knew that without God, that with, without God's saving grace, he was totally depraved. He was absolutely depraved. And the Pharisee was someone who supposedly had all of his spiritual ducks in a row. And Jesus said that the Pharisee would pray and he would say, God, I'm just thank you so much that I'm not like all these other people. Thank you that I'm not like the adulterer, that I'm not like the thief, that I'm not like that crooked tax collector who everybody hates and despises. God, thank you that I'm not like these people. And then he goes on to rattle off to the Lord his resume, like that's going to impress God. Do you think our resume impresses God? And his relationship with God is based solely on his performance. But again, our performance is not reconciles us with God. It's not what makes us righteous. It's not what gives us access to God. And this is what Jesus said here in verse 14 of, of Luke 18. He says, I tell you, this tax collector, not the Pharisee, he returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Was the tax collector perfect? No, he wasn't. He was crooked. But he came to the realization of, I am nothing without Christ. And that began, that, that flipped a switch on the inside of him. And Jesus is saying, this is the guy who gets it. This is the guy who, realize, who realizes his identity is not based in his performance. It's based in what God can do in his life and who God is. If your identity is rooted in performance, you can step into pride and think that what you're doing or who you are is, well, I'm, I'm better than them or I'm doing better than them. And that's just one ditch on one side of the road. The ditch on the other side of the road is the ditch of shame. On the other side of this performance pendulum, we have shame. And we think, I can't go to God because I'm not good enough. I was just talking with somebody this week when we were praying for some friends of theirs, one friend in particular, uh, someone who's, who we are pretty sure this person is a believer. <clears throat> They're not in church yet. They're struggling with their identity in Christ. And this is what they think. They think, in order for me to come to God, in order for me to get baptized, in order for me to get into the church, then I've got to get my act together first. And the whole idea of baptism is that when you go under that water, it is a representation of your old sinful nature and that you are dead to it. And that when you come out of the water, you are resurrected with Christ in new life, with a new identity, the new identity of Jesus Christ himself. And there is nothing that you can do to get yourself cleaned up enough to deserve the waters of baptism. It's something that only Jesus can do. It's something that he's already done and accomplished. And it's up to us now just to say, That's, identify with that. That's who I'm going to be. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm going to be a saint. And some, too many people think, well, you know, I've just got too many struggles and too many issues and I've made too many mistakes. And in their heart, they don't feel worthy to have God love them the way that he says he does. That's shame. And it's one of the greatest enemies that the, uh, one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses against us to keep us from walking in our identity in Christ. And therefore, it keeps us from laying hold of all the good works that God planned for us to do. Shame keeps us from being confident and bold. Listen, we've got to get off of the performance train because it only leads of one of those two places. It only leads to the destination of pride or it leads to the de destination of shame. And get off the performance train and let's get on the position train. Because God's way is, is that your performance or it, it's already an overflow of your position. Yeah. When your identity is truly rooted in Christ, your life will automatically produce good fruit. One of the other traps that we step into when it comes to our identity is instead of truly accepting our God-given identity as a saint, what we do is, is like we, we still wear the old clothes of a sinner. We wear the old sinner clothes, and then we try to take the new wardrobe 
that God has given us, the saintly wardrobe, and instead of taking off the old sinner clothes, what we do is we want to take the, the new saint clothes and just put them over the sinner clothes. And now we're wearing two outfits. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that we all know, like in, in, our, in the physical realm, that that wouldn't work out very well. None of us here are, are wearing multiple outfits at the same time. Now, you might be wearing, well, that shirt goes with these pants, and then I'm going to switch it. No, that's what I'm talking about. Who in here is wearing two pair of pants this morning? Nobody. No one's double layering their socks or their underwear this morning. No one's got two button-ups on this morning. That's because you'd walk around, and you'd look goofy, and you wouldn't be able to, like, you know, you'd feel weird, and you'd be weighed down. But in our spiritual life, we do this. We wear the old clothes of the sinner, and then we just put the new clothes on top of the old clothes of the sinner. And so we don't fully come out of agreement with, the, with our identity as a sinner. And your core belief is that I have to try to be somebody in order to be loved and accepted. I have to try to be somebody that, and this is what you think, I try, I have, when I have to try to be somebody that I'm not, in order to be loved and accepted because you still don't see yourself as a saint. That's why you haven't taken off the sinner clothes. In Genesis, we find a really good example of this. Uh, in, in chapters 25 through 33, we read about the account of Abraham's two grandsons, Esau and Jacob. And in Genesis chapter 25, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, this, this is Isaac is Abraham's son. And Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, are, um, they've been infertile for many years. They've been trying to have children. They've not been successful. But finally, the Lord answers their prayers. Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. And so the firstborn son is Esau. And he grows up to be like the hunter type. And then Jacob comes along. And he's more of a homebody. And so Esau is this typical warrior hunter guy. He's a smelly dude. Uh, he's hairy. He's rugged. And Isaac loves, Isaac the dad loves Esau more and favors him more than he does Jacob. And then you have Jacob who's not rugged and he, he was refined. And imagine him just, just imagine him living his entire life thinking, my dad doesn't love me like he loves my brother. I don't have his approval like Esau does. I, I, I'm not like Esau. I've tried to go out and do what Esau does, but I, that's just not who I am. I don't fit the mold. I don't measure up. So then in, in chapter 27, we read that Isaac is now an old man. And he's blind. And he doesn't really realize, he doesn't really know how much longer he's going to be around. He knows that he's coming to the end of his days. So he wants to pronounce his blessing over his favorite son, Esau. Now, what is the significance of this blessing? We're not talking about just coming in and praying a nice prayer 
over Esau. What we're talking about is a really big deal because we're talking about the generational blessing of Abraham. Does this make, are you grasping this? This is a big deal. This is about passing the baton of God's covenant with Abraham. This is about the promises that God made to Abraham now being transferred to the next generation. This is a huge deal. So Isaac tells Esau, Esau, I want you to do me a favor. This is old blind Isaac. And he says, son, I want you to go out. I want you to go hunting for me. I want you to prepare for me my very favorite meal. Apparently, Isaac is not a vegetarian. He wants Esau to go hunting for him for his favorite meal. (laughs) He's a meat eater. And Isaac says, when you bring me this meal, I'm going to pronounce the blessing of Abraham over you before I die. But in the background, in in the other side of the tent wall, Rebecca hears what's going on. You got to remember her favorite son is Jacob. And she wants her son to receive this incredibly important generational blessing of Abraham. So she tells Jacob, Jacob, I want you to go get me two goats. Now listen, that's got to be a wonderful meal if it's going to take two goats to make. (laughs) I want you to go get me two goats and I'm going to make your dad's favorite meal for him. While Esau is out in the wilderness hunting, we're going to pull a fast one over him. And then I'm going to make this his favorite dinner for him, and then I want you, Jacob, to take it into him. And then I want him to bless you. This is not like, hey, let's play a funny little April Fool's Day prank on Dad. <laughs> this is like big-time deceit happening here. So Jacob's like, Mom, this is not going to work. Esau is so hairy. (laughs) What if dad reaches out for me? I know he's blind, but he can still feel. He can still touch. What if he reaches out for me? He's going to know that I'm not Esau. Mom says, don't worry about that. And so she goes into Esau's closet and pulls out Esau's clothes and puts them onto Jacob. Now, how many of you know that like, you're, those of us that are married in here, you know, when your spouse gets up out of bed, you can roll over and you can smell them on their pillow, right? We have a scent. And, and so Rebecca knows that Esau has a scent. He has the Esau stink on his clothes. And she puts on Esau's clothes onto Jacob. And <laughs> Jacob's like, yeah, but that doesn't fix the hairiness. And Rebecca's like, no, we've already thought through that. And so she takes some of this goat skin and she ties it onto Jacob's hands and on his neck. Now, how hairy of a guy <laughs> do you have to be that if someone's impersonating you, they put goat hair on Esau was like the king of testosterone or something. (laughs) So 
Jacob's probably nervous. He's got his Esau costume on. He takes dinner into his dad. He greets Isaac. But Isaac is thrown off a little bit because Jacob, uh, he's trying to do an impersonation of Esau's voice. It's pretty good, but it's not good enough. And Isaac's like, what son is this? Remember, you can't see. He's like, who, who just came in here? And Jacob says, it's me. It's your son Esau, right? Dad, it's me. I, I did what you told me to do. Sit up so I can feed you this, your favorite meal, and then you can give me the blessing. Come on, let's get this done. Let's go. Isaac's a little skeptical, and he's like, how are you back from hunting already? And Jacob's like, um, the Lord blessed me in the field. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. So now we've, we've stepped further down the, the hole of deceit when we start bringing God into this. Yowzer. And Isaac says, you're, if you're really Esau, I want you to come over here so I can touch you. And so Isaac feels Jacob, and he's like, this is Jacob's voice, but this is Esau's hands. You're, you're sure this is really Esau? Jacob's like, Dad, it's me, it's Esau. So Isaac ate the dinner, he drank the wine, but he's still suspicious, and he says, son, come over here and let me kiss you. So Jacob goes over to his dad, he bends down to kiss him, and Isaac now smells the scent of Esau on the clothes that Jacob was wearing, and finally, Jacob gave, uh, Jacob received the blessing from Isaac. Now, that's where we'll pause in this story for now. And there's a lot of talking points, a lot of pretty serious things that we could take away from this part of the account. We could talk about Rebecca's deceit. We could talk about how Jacob went along with the lies and What I want to highlight to us today is this, how we think that we have to be something else or someone else in order to receive the blessing of the Father. We think that we've got to be someone else to come into the Father's presence and to receive his love. When I think, man, I've struggled with this. I've messed up with that. You know, this and the, such and such over here, that happened to me. And, and then I've adopted that as part of my identity, some terrible thing that happened to me. Or we think, man, I'm guilty of that. And I've done this over here. And the things that we've done, we've adopted as part of our identity. And we say, and I can't approach God. Not the way that I am. We think in order for God to love us and accept us, we have to pr pretend to be something that we're not. Now, the remarkable thing about this account is that this is one of those things that there's this dual insight. There's another way to look at, at, at this, and that's when Jacob approached his father for the blessing. When we approach God, God says, I hear the voice of Jacob. 
I hear the voice of Joshua. I hear the voice of Chris. But come close to me. Come close enough for me to smell you. Come close enough for me to touch you. And when God smells you, he smells Jesus, the son he loves. When he reaches out and touches you, he feels Jesus, the son that he loves. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.27, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Isaiah 61.10, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. We have to change our clothes permanently. We have to stop walking around trying to wear the sinner clothes underneath the saint clothes. Take them off. Take them off, take them off, take them off, and be clothed in the robe of righteousness that is provided to you by Jesus Christ. When we're in Christ, we no longer, we no longer bear our former our identity. When we're in Christ, we bear his identity. We're no longer dressed in the clothes of our past. We're dressed in these robes of righteousness. You don't have to feel like you have to approach God with shame and guilt and worry and fear. It doesn't matter what happened 10 years ago. It doesn't matter what happened 10 minutes ago. Every time the Father says, come here, I want to love you. I want to bless you because you are the son that I love. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that everything that we try to gain through our own works, through our performance. It's like dirty rags compared to the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4 tells us also that when we approach God with our identity in Christ, then we can approach with confidence. We can approach with boldness. We can receive the Father's blessing, not deceitfully through trickery, but legitimately through Christ because he is our high priest. Won't you just stand with me this morning as we're getting ready to close and let's just tune in to what the Holy Spirit is inviting us toward in this moment. What is the Holy Spirit inviting you toward right now today? Psalm, Psalm 62, uh, David says, he says, trust in him at all times. Pour your heart out before God. I just wanna invite you to do that right now. That, that word trust, it means to cling to. It means to hold on to something for dear life. If you're holding on to something else for dear life, then that means you can't hold on to God for dear life. I wanna invite you, pour your heart out before God in this moment. What identity are you clinging to that doesn't reflect and line up with the identity of Christ? Let that go and trust in him right now. We're here in this moment and you do not have to be something that you're not. 
Maybe you've been battling in your own power. Maybe you've, you've been struggling and wrestling with some issues that are apart from your identity in Christ. Maybe you've allowed certain situations in your life. Maybe you've allowed words that have been spoken over you. Maybe you've allowed your past sin or the sin that's been committed against you to somehow shape your identity. But God says, if you are in Christ, your identity is not in those things. If you're in Christ, God says that you are his masterpiece. He says that you're an overcomer. He says that you're an ambassador. He says that, that he unconditionally loves you. He, maybe there's some things in your past that you've not let go of. Let go of them today. Maybe there's some things the enemy's tried to use against you to keep you from all that God has for you and to keep you from seeing yourself the way that God sees you and doing what he's called you to do. It's time to let go of those things. The truth is that the old has gone and behold, all things have become new. Why don't you close your eyes with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. God wants to do a new thing in your heart. He wants to do a new thing in your family. He wants to create an atmosphere for his power and his presence to be the driving force of your life. He wants to make your home an altar, everything outflowing and overspilling from who you are in Christ. Now is the time to break agreement with anything, with any identity that doesn't measure up to Christ himself. Now's the time to ask God to show you, God, show me who I am in Christ and then come into agreement with that. Come into agreement with him. I'm gonna pray, and I'm just gonna ask everybody in here to just pray with me as we ask God to give us a revelation of who we are in Christ as his new creation. And I, before we pray, I just wanna say this. If you want to increase in your knowledge of who you are in Christ, you're gonna to have to start reading your Bible. You will not be able to do this without the support of God's word in your life. And you open up Ephesians chapter one. I gave you guys homework this week to start every day this last week with Ephesians chapter one. This week, let's go to Ephesians chapter two. For this next week, every single day this week, open up Ephesians two, because Ephesians one, two, and three are so chopped full of our identity in Christ, who Christ is, what he has accomplished, and then what who we are now through Christ. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 tell us about the performance that is the overflow of our position. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are about, hey, this is your position in Christ. And Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are now the overflow of that position is this performance. It's not the other way around. Paul did not write Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 first. So I invite you to just pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you boldly because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Thank you for loving me. I choose to believe that I am in Christ. Nothing can separate me from your love. My past does not define me. It has no authority over my future. Thank you that I am a new creation in Christ. Now y'all need to say that like you mean it. Thank you that I'm a new creation in Christ. Thank you that I'm a new creation in Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Listen, today, if you have need for prayer in anything in your life, this is the moment because you know your identity in Christ. And it's time to, let's come into agreement with each other in the place of prayer. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to go ahead and come forward and come stand here across the front. In just a moment, we're gonna dismiss. And if you're staying here for DNA, I'm gonna invite you to go and get your children uh, from Seeds Kids and pick them up and hang it back out here in the barn for a minute, for a few minutes before we invite you to come back for the DNA class. But we're gonna have this opportunity to pray with one another. We're gonna have this opportunity to say, God, I'm an, I'm in Christ, and maybe your prayer request is that the Lord will help you continue to see that, and that will increase and grow. Maybe you have a need for something else or for prayer in your life. Don't miss this opportunity to come, and let's pray in agreement according to God's word. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christ follower at all. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, all of that sounded good, but my identity truly is a sinner because I'm not in Christ. The good news is, is that today you can change your eternal destiny by saying yes to Jesus. And it's not really you changing your eternal destiny, it's Jesus changing it for you. It's what he's accomplished for you and you're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to come into agreement with this, this spiritual reality and truth. If that's you today, well, I also invite you to come and pray with one of my friends here on the prayer team to change your spiritual identity for eternity, to repent of your sin and say, I'm gonna live the life of a saint. And that doesn't mean we expect everything, you to be like completely sanctified overnight and you not to struggle with any issues or anything like that. What we expect now is, is that together, we're walking on this path, this path of sanctification, following the Holy Spirit, filling ourselves with God's word. And every single day, we are taking the, uh, making a step and making the decision, I'm gonna be like Christ. I'm gonna be like Christ because I'm following him. Ian Bounds said that, that prayer is the greatest force of all. It's the greatest of forces because it honors God and brings him into active aid. So as we get ready to dismiss, if you need prayer, don't miss this opportunity. Would you just stretch your hands forward like this to receive? I'm gonna just pray this over you. This is from Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever, amen, amen. Go in peace and empower to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.